Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaky Powerful Podcast. My name is Ali Caparo, and I'm so glad you're here. Today I get to interview my friend and colleague, Burt Rogers. Burt was born and raised in the inner city of Kansas City, Missouri. Now he works as a licensed professional counselor and somatic experiencing practitioner in Kansas City. He works with high-risk cases, including individuals who have experienced homicide-based trauma. Bert shares with us a lot of the resources that have been helpful to him over the years, and we talk about increasing capacity. I do want to give the listeners a heads up because Bert and I do cover some sensitive material related to the homicide of his younger brother. So please, knowing that, take good care of yourself. Otherwise, I'm really excited to share the interview with you, so let's get to it. I'm thinking of arriving. I remember in one of my early sessions, mm-hmm. like personal sessions for Essie, the provider said, so are you here? Have you arrived? And I'm like racing through my mind trying to fake like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yes, <laughs> I want to do the right answer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So over, I mean, how long have you been doing SE? When did you get trained? I got, I started in training in 2017. I finished in 2019, but I've been a client of an SEP since 2013. That's awesome. I can't wait to talk about that. That's exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, don't, definitely don't mind talking about that one because that, that was a journey by itself, just getting to SE because I didn't even know what it was in 2013. Wow. So how do you arrive? Like, here we are. How do you arrive? Um, typically if I'm in, if I'm like getting ready for a session or I'm dropping in like to a console or something like that, typically I'll arrive by, you know, first thing, back in the chair mm-hmm. and then like, you know, butt the seat, that kind of thing. But typically, let me see if I can grab it because I have it here. Got a little steel drum. Like a little... Oh, I love it. Nice. You know, so it's different tones to it. My daughter has chucked the, uh, the mallet somewhere. So like, <laughs> it's clear. But um, I typically use, use that like right, like five minutes before my sessions, I'll settle in because music actually is like my biggest settling thing. Like it's going to be anything going to quickly, mm-hmm. even, sometimes even faster than smell. If I'm like, okay, let's put on some music. Yeah, oh, we're good. And especially if it's, um, and it's all bilateral stimulation kind of stuff, but especially if music pans back and forth between the ears. So mm-hmm. we're talking about like the, um, uh, what's it called? It was you know, basically fade stereo back and forth. But like, yeah, like, yeah like, right. that, that whole idea is like pretty soothing pretty quickly. So anything involving music, I'll like have that around right before I start my sessions. And also when I'm like done with sessions, I'll kind of like have some music playing. So so let's jump in since I'm, my brain's like lit up about you've been doing SE personally since 2013. Do you have a SE magic moment that you can kind of go to? Yeah, I would say. I mean, like if you describe like a magic moment, it's something that happened to me or something that happened in the therapy hour. Either one. Any, any. Anyone. Okay. There was one in the last couple of years where I was working with my clinician and she has this like this little tree. I think it's a fake tree, but it has a tree behind her, uh, her therapy chair, whatever else. So like, and it's like slightly off to the left. And I remember this because I was like, yo, um, Brit, because we're processing something. I was like, yo, is that ballerina on that, that little ornament on that tree? Has that always been there? And she kind of looked at me. I was like, ah, damn it. You did it again. <laughs> like, oh, I've not been oriented to my left, have I? She's like. I was like, nope. I was like, oh, I just, I was like, so humor me. How long has that been? She's like, well, I've been in this office since this particular office because she moved from 2013, 2013 and 2014 is a different office in the same building. 
2016, she moved to this other office. <laughs> she was like, it's been there for the last no. you know, eight or nine sessions. I was like, good to know. So it's one of those moments where I was like, I mean, the stuff, I know this stuff fairly well after being like totally client right. for nine, almost nine years at this point and like teaching it and like assisting and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, it still works. <laughs> it still I can't, works. I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't ask for it. Sometimes I'll, I'll just bump into it like, ah. Oh, Damn it. Damn it again. <laughs> I totally agree. And the more I do it, the more it works. Mm-hmm. The more I've noticed it becoming like a part of my daily life, the more I'm it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just like what you said. So the orienting, what do you did you figure out or do you have any insight on the orienting yeah. to the yeah. left? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we were we were processing like a uh, horror memory, right? Something that was horrific in like throughout mm-hmm. the last couple of sessions. And I was like, and I just kind of, every time something like a sneaky, powerful kind of moment happens in SE, in my sessions, I was just like, yep, yep, it happened again, didn't it? She's like, yeah. I was like, yep. So I couldn't orient left because I saw something horrible. And I was like, yep. Like my eyes have been stuck and frozen for the last six sessions. She's like, yep. I'm like, I know. Like, so it's, it's interesting, like how this stuff, even if I like cognitively know it, like I can That's tell. Totally. I can tell now at this point, oh, I'm frozen. Or, yep, I'm activated and activated in a sympathetic end or I'm um, just kind of shut down. Like it still, it still works. Like even if I'm like trying to outsmart it, like I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like no, no, I no, I'm not oriented. Let me plant my feet and slowly look around <laughs> using my head and neck. Let me go in this image and slowly orient to the sounds, the smell, or whatever else. No, all of a sudden, like I mean, I keep this nearby. Like this is like my essential oil, and it's like yeah, right. I talk a lot about like this, you know. Interventions that make them flexible and right, right. You know, so if I'm really like, if I have a really rough goal of a session, I'm like, ooh, this touched something. I'm really activated in between sessions. If I have a couple minutes, deep breath, yeah. oil. What kind do you? What is that one? It's, it's lavender. You like lavender? Yeah. Lavender. yeah. Well, here's my lavender. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Maybe I'll take a smell. And I love the science behind it. I have a couple clients that might have a little resistance to essential oils and mm-hmm. and just providing a little bit of science about like, yeah, goes wow. like the quickest way to your brain. Mm-hmm. You don't have to believe in anything else other than the science of. It's just yeah. a fast track. And sometimes, so sometimes it can be a scenario where my clients don't mess with essential oils. I'm like, Hey, you got chapstick in your pocket. They're like, yeah, actually I do. And we never, you know, you never buy chapstick that smells like something you don't like. Exactly. So, like, <laughs> hey, hey, bro, do me a favor. And I, I'll just kind of slide <laughs> in like, Hey, this is a weird intervention. Flush chapstick, <laughs> put it on, deep breath, count of four, breathe out on eight. And they're like, okay, man. Like, I'm, I'm, like they're trying to say that my, my lips are ashy. I'm like, no, I'm not trying to say your lips are ashy. I'm just saying you put on some chapstick real quick. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sneaky part. And then we'll get to the powerful part, dude. <laughs> That's awesome. There's a couple of sneaky interventions that even my therapist used to use where I'm like, you, okay, all right, cool, cool, cool. There was one where I was uh, pretty shut down, like early on in treatment, and I we built enough rapport where this would actually work. Yeah, totally. Um, she was like, "But we're cool, right?" I was like, "Yeah, we're cool, absolutely cool." She's like, "Playing, like, playing, playing, like half serious," and she's like, "So, Bert, considering you know that you feel comfortable here, I want you to tell me to f off." No. And I was like, "No, why would I say that? What's wrong with you? No, no, what's it? Oh, you did the thing. I was so frozen. I had a fight." <laughs> You, because ah, I was so shut down, and I was like, she and I was like, mm. that's a trick. She was like, yeah, either one or two things is gonna happen. 
either you're going to actively say at false and you're going to come from a fight response yeah. or you're going to say no. And it's going to be relational where you're like, no, I'm not telling you that. What's wrong with you? And then like, and I just looked at it. I was like, you sneak. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally appreciate this because you're identifying like, yeah, why it's sneaky powerful. Mm-hmm. Why that title is so accurate and so humorous, ironic, all the things. So now I have some personal questions. Jump in. I'm curious, what was the trauma that uh, sent you to therapy or specifically oh. SE? Let me go and just grab and scroll here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all of them. No. Um, How much time do you have? <laughs> it's at the, the short of it, the short of it is like um, almost 15 years ago, my younger brother was murdered uh, out in Chicago. And I thought I, because I went to therapy afterward and like mm-hmm. went to grief counseling and everything else. And at that point, things were fairly under control. But my supervisor who was training me in DBT at the time was also getting trained in SE. So she was like, hey, Bert, um, I want to walk in during, sometimes when during supervision, she, we would have like, basically she would run through my cases. But then sometimes she's like, hey, I want you to practice. Because I, I told her, I was like, hey, any skill you I'm teaching to my clients, I need you to practice it on me because I learned from the inside out. Mm. She's she's like, hey, I'm going to try this SE thing because I'm new at it. She, I think she's in beginning one at that time. And she's like, I'm new at it. So let me give it a try. When you talk about like being from being in my seat now and grounded to being on the ceiling, like totally. oh, immediately I was, I was like, Hey, um, she's like, and I'm, and I'm trying to like wrangle this, this activation in my, my chest gets tight and everything else. Cause she asked mm-hmm. questions about like, she was talking about like engaging like a gentle fight response and my nervous system went, Hey, and now I'm like jaw clenched. Like I'm getting like immediately flooded. She was like, Hey, Hey, I'm still here. I'm cool. I'm like, I was like, and then she's like, she grabbed, literally grabbed like some, some essential oil she just happened to have nearby. I was like, hey. I was like, I was like, what the hell did you just do? He's like, oh, it's just, just some stabilization stuff. That's all. And back then they were calling it red and blue. Like you went red into the way they called the, the trauma vortex, the red and the counter vortex, the blue. Okay. So, okay. So he was like, hey, you went way into red and now it brought you back to blue. And I was like, that is a lot easier than the DBT skills have been doing. Cause like, wow. hey, grab some ice or tip skill or improved skill, anything like the stress tolerance oriented. Yep. Like, what the hell did you just do? She's like, that was SC. And she was like, she, and we're, we're cool. At this point, we had already not even supervision for a few months and she was already showing me that she was a really cool person. She's like, Hey, I know you did therapy beforehand, but you may want to check in to like find an SCP. And I was like, what the hell is an SCP? So she sent me to the person who initially sent me, sent me to referral to a person who brought SC to Kansas city, Kansas Smith. Um, and then like when she, she didn't have any openings for a few months, I was like, I need to get in a little sooner than that. She was like, well, you might want to see this other, uh, other woman, a uh, Brit. And I was like, okay. So I called her immediately that same day, got an appointment for like that next Tuesday, I remember. And at that point I was like, Hey, like what I want to process is not necessarily about his murder. I've done a lot of work around that, but I'm trying to process the trial because I have to sit right across from the person killing. So at that point, at that point, I spent the entirety of like the first, I think I started seeing her September of 2013 and then went until April of 2014 for that first round. And then she stepped away and came back a few, like a few years later. But anyway, so for that first six months, it was all about like, hey, we're going to process this fight response that's been sitting there like this. And after a while, it became like, 
I kind of got used to the language and like, oh man, I'm in the red right now. Oh, I need to ground myself or I need to orient or I need to do blah, 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 blah. And I have, and I started having a language like around, and yeah. plus I'm already a musical kind of person. And when I hear music, I can like, it goes, it bumps, music bumps into my image channel too as well. So like when I resource myself, I'm like, oh, I can actually have an image that pops up now. This is nice. This is nice to feel that settled. Hearing all the things that you're using just so automatically is actually truly inspiring where I feel like, First of all, the hope of SE, of healing from trauma, especially something like that. That's one of the worst things anyone can go through. What was your brother's name? Sam. Yeah, he's, uh, I have his, I mean, you can't see it on camera, but I have his whole football jersey frame like over here. And I have a uh, a little like voice box recording of like his voicemail because like my mom like gave me his uh, voice, like to record his voicemail and gave that to me like, like, I think days after he died, she just knew that I needed it. So like. The whole idea of it and everything, I mean, it's, it's, there are some aspects I could process from like top down traditional oh, top mm-hmm, down mm-hmm, therapy. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff I just couldn't get to, mm-hmm. you know, there's some stuff I just could not get to without it. But then you open in, and then there's other stuff. I'm like, oh, well, this might need some SE or this might need some parts work like ISS. You know, there, she works mm-hmm. from multiple different angles. And I think that's the beauty of SE is that mm-hmm. it works well with other modalities too, as well. Oh, they, you know, every yeah. time I'm like, oh, we just pivoted upstairs, right? Because I call like SE stuff is like the basements and then like any top down stuff, DBT, CBT, all that yep. kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, we just pivot upstairs to the attic. I'm like, yep. The up and down side of it is like, you know, my therapist, even after working with her for like nine years, I can like, I'm like, you're about to do the thing, aren't you? Yep. I'm like, <laughs> go ahead. Like, like go, go ahead. We we know what's coming here. Like, you know, it's, it's, we, we, but that's 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 having a rapport and everything else too as well because half of it is like if I didn't feel comfortable and or right. safe, could tune into what safety felt like, then I would have a whole lot of trouble like going as deep into work that I have. I mean, so I mean, at the time I met my therapist, I was already four homicides in, and now I'm at twelve. So, no, like, Bert, what? Yeah, living in Kansas City, there's quite a few homicides that happened. Like my brother was the second of the the second homicide I dealt with at that point. So. I mean, it's quite a bit, actually. But that's the one that actually sent me to therapy because after a while, I was like, this is a lot of loss and like, this is a lot to process. And processing it from a bottom-up perspective gave me like more wiggle room to deal with the ones that were, they were just as painful, but these, my other cousins who passed on, friends and everything else, we didn't have that close-knit relationship that me and my brother did. Like, you know, for him, I basically practically, you know, help raise them, you know, like, so I mean, that, that aspect, I mean, like it's 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 actually like we talk about being sneaky powerful. Like it, like I literally woke up a few months into therapy, was like, I kind of sat down in front of like talk about a magic moment. I sat down, I was like, yo, Britt, I haven't had a nightmare in like two weeks. What the hell is that? Wow. She's like, Oh, yeah, your body, and she kind of just kind of right blew it, like, oh, your body's settling down, and your image channel's not too flooded, so you're not getting activated at night and everything else. I'm like, well, I guess this shit works. Like, I guess, <laughs> I guess okay. I mean, like, wow. I think of the capacity that it sounds like that's the word that came to mind the capacity mm-hmm. you've gained to tolerate this horror mm-hmm. that you've had to witness. Yeah. I think I tried to live a long time just trying to avoid horror and avoid terrible things and avoid mm-hmm. my survival physiology. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. No, no, ducking it does not. No, it finds you. <laughs> and I think that also kind of pivots toward like attachment stuff too as well. Because for a while, my learning edge was like, yeah, I can tolerate, I can regulate. I mean, I've had music since I was literally in the womb. 
my pops, my pops used to put like headphones like on my mom's stomach so I could hear music. So like it's literally my oldest resource. So between playing basketball and like music and having a, I have a huge family, like a bunch of cousins and mm. everything else. Like I've had so many resources even before I got to therapy. So even my my supervisor time was like, since you're getting flooded, I have a sneaky suspicion that like this is really big, whatever it is. Right. You know, absolutely. So, That's brilliant of her. Yeah. Oh, no, Deanne is like one of the sharpest clinicians I've ever, I know, period. You know, shout out to Deanne, by the way. Like, she like, yeah. <laughs> is she an SCP now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, she got her SCP a while ago and she does NARM and everything else. She's mm-hmm. here. She's right here in Kansas City. So, like, she, she heads up a, a DBT practice, like, probably 15 minutes away. Like, I know she's sharp as hell. One of my, one of my good friends, one of my best friends. So, like, yeah. Why did you choose to become a therapist? So, um, it actually, I kind of stumbled into it by accident. I knew since I was 15 that I wanted to be a therapist. I was playing a video game by the name of Xenogears. The game is a role-playing game. It talks about, like, you know, it takes the main character through, like, he, literally part. the main portion of the game is him, like, reconciling his trauma. Now, they didn't call it that, but he's literally, like, reconciling trauma over the course of this video game. But I feel start- like we should plug trauma nerds right here oh, because oh, this yeah, is yeah. basically <laughs> what... <laughs> we might do a takedown on, on Xenogears at some point, on trauma nerds at some point. I love um, hearing you say that about it's it's not that they say it's about healing his trauma, but that's what's going on. And once you know, you can pick it up. Oh, I, I don't play I don't, video games, but now I'm like, no, it, it, it's, interesting. It's, probably one of, it's probably one of the most well-written and most powerful video games I've ever played. Like wow. it's it talks about like this main character in this video game literally reconciles like childhood abuse. This all this takes place within this game. Childhood abuse, war, his own moral injuries, things he's done over the course of the game that he's like not proud of. He even towards the very end of it reconciles his own spirituality and his own belief system. That is literally the last boss of that game. So it's it's a fascinating game. So I, they throw out all these psychological terms like Jungian psychology. They talked about like a little bit about parts work. I don't think they named it as such. And then they did some stuff. They they actually named like the social identity disorder in that game. And like they they actually dropped that in there because like one of the main characters was like, hey bro, like there are times like they, are there times where you black out as a main character and don't remember portions. Are there times where you don't wake up and you've done things, don't remember them? So second half of the game, they actually sit him down. It's like, hey, we think something's going on here. And it turns out that he's an alter and everything else. But long story short, that particular game was like, yo, this stuff is pretty interesting, um, but I don't even know where to start. No, I don't know anybody who's a therapist. So my little 15-year-old self found a, um, my pops, when he was alive, he had uh, serious and serious bipolar disorder. Like he was really like unmedicated in that situation. He would use you know, drugs and alcohol and things like that to right. regulate itself. But in his time frame, like he got like a psych 101 book, like upstairs. So I was like, so I grabbed it. And I was like, and I just devoured it. Like the whole textbook, just like, this is interesting. This is what <laughs> <At> 15. <laughs> oh, I was a weird kid. I was a, I was a weird kid. Let's, let's call it what it is. Like I was a weird ass kid. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So there I am in this attic, like reading all this stuff about psychology. And um, I went to a college prep school here in KC and they offered psychology. They offered psychology my junior year. I took it then. And then around that time, I was like, yo, I really do want to do something with this. Because at the time I was like, I don't know what, I didn't know what I wanted to go to college for. So I was like, I want to major in psychology. And then my um, academic advisor first, like summer before college, was like, hey, if you want to sit down and become a therapist, if that's what you want to do, you're going to want to get a master's degree at some point. And I was like, okay, bet. So I looked at my mom and dad at the time. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm finishing this degree and I'm going to get my master's afterwards. So like, give me six years and I'm going to do what I, exactly what I said I'm going to do. So 
yeah, I mean, I, I you know went to got my undergrad. My brother was killed like like very beginning of my junior year. I went back like four or five days after he was killed. I was like, I got to go back to class. I, I don't go back and to drop out. So I had the support of my friend, my girlfriend at the time, now my, my now wife. And, mm. you know, they dragged me through that last year and a half of school. Then after that, went to my grad program, blew straight through it. And the rest is kind of history. Like at that point, I just, you know, I was a caseworker for a year while I was in grad mm-hmm. school and like learned a lot about the field from that angle. And then, like, I got lucky with the supervisor. Like, my supervisor was training DBT and SE and was, like, launching this stuff at me. She's like, I'm not going to just give you, send you out here with just validate your client. Like, you're going to have tools by the time you're done. <laughs> and, she, and she said, Deanne said with straight face, she's like, I can be kind of a hard ass. So, like, I really want to let you know that you're going to be sharp by the time you're done. So, like, you know, wow. so, so she would, like, literally drop a, you know, case study in front of me. Like, just say, like, what would you do here? I want you to go home and I want you to sit down with this. I want you to tell me what you want to do from a skill to skill perspective. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. But I do want you to know your justification about why you're doing every single intervention you're doing. That's how I was trained. I, I think of those as kind of SE magic moments, even though they don't necessarily have SE. A friend of mine recently used the word provenance when mm-hmm. I was talking about like how I ended up here, basically. It's like I hear that in that story, the provenance of what was just like this wave bringing you to this moment kind of. I mean, I, when I was practicing, I was, you know, a baby counselor, I was, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from my house in some rural area practicing. So I got a, a good look about what it looks like, you know, from a therapy standpoint in a rural area, from a city standpoint. Yeah. And from, I mean, I work at a hospital eventually. But anyway, like it's been a journey. You want to work at a hospital or you? I, I did. I was, I was, okay. I floated between the behavioral health emergency department and the inpatient unit back and forth. So if someone walked off the street, it's like, I'm having a mental health crisis. They saw me first. <laughs> uh, wow. Did you like that? What was that like? Um, intense. I was in therapy at the time, but I hadn't like learned SE formally at that point. I mean, it was really fascinating to have a scenario where like I worked 12 hour shifts. So I'll get it there like, you know, six, sometimes six o'clock in the morning. Or 11 o'clock in the morning, or sometimes I think one or two times it could be 11 to 11, like night to the morning. And you see some things at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, you're not going in there at three in the morning if you're not intense, yeah, <laughs> not having an intense experience. That's, that's where, that's where you know, along with like, you know, sitting psychotherapy, uh, cut my teeth also out there doing that kind of stuff. So when a client like goes into like crisis in my office now, I'm like, okay. I'm done. Good. I've got this. I can contain this. <laughs> You're not swinging on staff right now? We're good, bro. We're good. <laughs> it's such a safe feeling. I think that's one of the things with SE that has kind of helped me move even further along in my healing. I want to go back, actually, since I'm forgetting what I was actually going to say. I was thinking about that feeling of being held. None of my coping mechanisms work with SE because like I'll try to unconsciously try to move and distract or wiggle out of like what I'm being held to. And Essie's like, no, no, I'll wait. I'm like, let me out of here. I'll be here when you get back. Exactly. I was thinking of that while you were talking about your own experiences earlier. But besides that, I was thinking about, I don't know. I actually want to hear more about your life because It's so different than mine. Like I've never, the only homicide that I have encountered, and it wasn't even that close, was 
when I was probably in third grade, I went to a Catholic school in Fresno, California. And one of our, one of the kids at our school, his mom was murdered. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was really terrible and scary. And, mm-hmm. but anyway, what, um, what else is interesting about your life, Bert? <laughs> um, let's see. I picked up a couple of my resources like along the way, like in the darker times or whatever. Like, you know, because I, I you know, grew up playing, uh, playing the drums in my grandmother's church. Like when things got, like that was my outlet when I was really young. Like, because mm-hmm. my family life was pretty, it looked nice on the outside, but it was pretty chaotic on in the inside of the house because, you know, drugs, alcoholism, that kind of thing, you know, like they did, did, did as much as they could, but they were also struggling too as well. Like as I got older, I was like, yeah, they got their own significant drama history. But anyway, like, so drumming was like my resource and I had, but I, even when I got my house got too escalated, my grandmother stayed next door. So I would like literally get my brother, I'm like, let's walk, let's go to grandma's house. So like we'd go across the street, well, not across the street, like literally like outdoor to the left to my grandmother's house. And um, my grandmother has fostered kiddos, all my great aunties and my grandma and great aunties also fostered and adopted a bunch of kiddos. So my grandmother, she had seven biological kids and five adopted. So, um, and, yeah, so like, so like, so all, all the five kiddos that she adopted, that she adopted when they were like, I think most of them, yeah, all of them below the age of three. Uh, those are my, they're my aunties and uncles, but they're all around my age. So whenever I got overloaded at my house, me and my brother would go over to their house. And that was a huge resource because all we did was play video games, eat cereal and watch movies. Oh, <laughs> like, so, wow. uh, I mean, yeah, that house had its own challenges to it, but um, I feel like I need to know your grandma's name so I can have like Kay. this image. K, my grand, my grandma K, Granny. What did you call her? Granny, Granny K. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love I, it. I, I named my uh, my oldest daughter. My oldest daughter has her middle name. Wow. Well, she shares a middle name with my Granny K and my wife's Grandma K. God rest her soul. She passed away a few years ago. So like, your so, Granny K still around? Oh, she, oh, she's still around. She's still around. I got a voicemail from her just now. <laughs> <laughs> No, she's, still, she's, still, she's still kicking and, and she's still moving. She's, she's my, both my grandparents, my mother's side is still alive. My grandmother on my, my father's side uh, has passed away like 10, 11 years ago. And my pops passed away like in October of last year. So yeah, the, um, I mean, so like, yeah, no, those early years were all spent going back to my folks' house and mm-hmm. my, my grandma's, grandma's house and everything else. And then as I got older, my folks, for a different reason, they moved about, about three blocks away. So it was just my mom, cops, my, me, myself, my little brother. My sister already moved out by then. She's like eight years older than me. But anyway, like that was when I, you know, stumbled upon, you know, psychology and things like that. That's when I stumbled on, like, when I got to my junior year of high school, my folks were like, hey, your dad's found a different opportunity in Chicago to work at Ford Plant. So I'm going to need you to uh, like you need to come over to Chicago. And I was like, absolutely not. I spent like the last like five or six years in a prep school, middle school to high school. I'm like, I'm not graduating with some regular school on my transcript after doing like, I mean, I, like absolutely. I didn't put I, in all this work. I, for <laughs> I had homework in every one of my classes for like six years. Like absolutely not. I would stay with whoever. So I moved my senior year. I moved in with my uncle. And that's when from an SE standpoint, that's when I started to come out of my shell because to survive in my parents' household, I was pretty shut down. Like I would just Really would engage very much. Literally stayed in the basement for most of the time. Like I'll pop up occasionally, like, "Oh, look who came out from the basement!" Yep, I'm going right back downstairs to play video games. Bye, guys. And once I moved out, that's when I, you know, really got to hang out with some of my cousins and everything else again. That's when I really got to meet my uncle. Will you drag me out of bed? Like, hey, come on, bro, we're going to watch the game. You can't just stay here. Come on, let's go. 
Uh, my uncle Gordy ah. is the truth when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like he, um, he is. I would argue that he's probably most responsible for the man you guys see in front of you. Like you guys see in front of you. Like he showed me how to like to, you know, really step out of my shell, be comfortable with myself. And it took years to get there. But the lessons he taught me when I was like, yeah. 16, 17 really stuck with me. You know, like he's the one who coined the phrase. That's the first time I heard the phrase. Bert, he called me Bert Bert. You know, all my family called me Bert Bert. They're like Bert Bert, just let, let people be loud and wrong, man. Like you ain't, you ain't just let them be loud and wrong. They're gonna be loud and they're gonna be wrong. Like you ain't gotta correct them. I say that to my kids all the time. Like let them be wow. loud. You ain't, got, you ain't gotta jump into a fight with these people. Like you I feel jump. like you're parenting me right now. I'm like, oh, this little girl inside me is just like, yeah, I can be loud and wrong. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks, well, thanks, Uncle Bert Bert. <laughs> No, it's like I know finished my school year, you know, finished my last school year, graduated, went to University of Missouri in Columbia. My auntie, my adopted auntie, um, but she ended up going to Missouri the year before. And so I had like someone literally on campus, like a year ahead of me, that was like, we we, we, we were were bumping to each other at parties and stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like, I'm telling your mama, you're going to tell my mama, I'm going to tell your mama. Like, what are you doing out here? So, I mean, but I met, I met my, uh, my best friend, my, I, I consider him now older brother. I've known him for 17 years, my boy Julian. And he literally adopted me my first <laughs> three days on campus. He was like, yo, bro, I got Cocoa Puffs and, and, and Madden football in my room, my dorm room, if you want to like come play. And I was like, well, yeah, like, and we've been boys since then. Like, so we talk about like venture vagal social engagement. Mm-hmm. And that, that was my, that was my introduction, like to like, Social engagement didn't have to do with like, cause with my brother, I was his protector. I was getting fights behind him. But having that sense of like, oh man, like I can just kick with this person. I ain't got to look out for him. I don't have to like, you know, like, no, nah, we just literally have fun. So like the entirety of my college years, I mean, like, you know, either we, I think we stayed with each other my senior year and like my freshman year, we just kicked it, kicked it all the time. Like, and then when my brother was killed, like he drove from Columbia to Chicago. I called him. I was like, oh bro, this was going on. He was like, I'm gonna be there. I was like, when? He was like, in six hours, like, if not less, literally sped down there to actually show up. All these people that I'm talking about, but like, you know, they, they, they showed up, you know, for me in that situation. They ran counter to all the experiences I had. So that's why by the time I got to like 2013, when I got so flooded, I was like, that's how I survived this shit. Like, like yeah. my own individual nervous system, my own resources and things like that. But like, I had a bunch of people, like they got me here. I didn't get here by myself, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, my wife, I mean, she's, she was there when I got the call by my brother. She sat next to me throughout the entirety of the trial, you know? So, and then all of his friends, all my brother's friends, when he got killed, they all showed up at my mama's house, like in Chicago was like, we heard what happened. Like, so we're talking like 40 some odd kids just kind of piling to my mom's, my mom and pop's like small ass house. So I would say the beauty of it, like in terms from the SE standpoint, is like if I'm recalling some of these memories, it used to be the thing when I think about my brother's murder and trial, the first thing that would come to mind was the horror, you know, because I identified his body at the morgue, you know. So like, so now when I recall this stuff, that's not the first thing that pops up. Oh my gosh, that's such a freaking miracle. That's like, I can feel my whole system just settle. I feel a little teary. I'm like, oh. Just imagining that house with all the yeah. friends and all the yeah. family. They all, they all flooded in like one by one. It was like, you know, mm. people were asking, like, yo, where's Bert? I'm like, he's back there asleep. He hasn't ate in two days. Like, so with SC, the ability for me now to like recall the story without falling apart, without mm. going into activation, and also to be able to like 
I would say, put his life in context, you know, so it's not like this, you know, it's, it's the, <laughs> how does my therapist put it? She said, um, you know, trauma's the, trauma's the wound, right? Right. It's the wound that happens to us. Grief is the scar that's left over when it heals. Oh, good. I love that description. Absolutely. So with that, I mean, like now is, is my <laughs> colleague Thayer would say, my fellow trauma would say, it's, it's no longer a traumatic memory. Now it's a shitty memory. I'm like, okay, I can live with a shitty memory. Like it's totally, you know, yeah. my brother was hella young. He just turned 17 when he got killed, you know? How, why, how, who killed him? What happened? Uh, some guys were pissed off. They hit, they had, okay. Uh, bro, we're going to be pissed. So I'm sharing this. Oh, he'd be pissed from heaven, whatever. His football, <laughs> team, his football team was shitty. So this football team was just like horrible. Like he, he played football for his high school team. They were pretty trash. But like you mean lost a lot of games? Oh yeah, yeah, lost a lot, <laughs> lot of games. Or like mean or like bad guys. <laughs> no, 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 no. They just lost they just lost a lot of games. They, they, were, they were not good at it. Like they they had some individually talented guys, and I'm sure my brother will show up in the dream, like you told them it was trash. I'm like y'all was, bro. Like y'all lost like Sam, I still, I still, I think you're awesome, Sam. I don't care if you're trash. Oh, no, no, that, that's 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 my guy. Like that's my inner conscience 90% of the time. Like so he went to like, he went to the, like, I talked to him literally the day he died. Like the day he died, like he was, uh, I told him, I told him, hey, we're going to show up to Chicago because it was his birthday was a week beforehand. His birthday's on November 9th. He was killed on on the 17th. So I called him. I was like, hey, bro, we're going to hop on the bus. We're going to hop on the bus. We'll take a bus from KC to Chicago. We're going to be there in about 10 hours. He was like, all right, bro. Well, uh, you know, I might be going to a party later on, but I, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there when you get here because we played, play Madden and we played Madden. If whoever, whoever lost would owe each other push-ups. We didn't have any money to bet because I was a broke college student. He was a broke high school student. So if he lost, I was like, I was like, all right, bro, you're going to owe me some push-ups when I get there, you know, because we're going to get on Madden. I'm going to destroy you. So I, we got, we hopped on the bus and you know, I got the call around 1130 that he'd been killed. My sister called me. She didn't tell me he died. She just said somebody shot him. I was like, he's going in. You know, I, we had that kind of, from a somatic standpoint, we had a pretty deep connection. So I was like, yeah. I can't feel him here. So when we got there, I kind of pieced together the story about what happened. So the football team was not good, but they finally won a game. And one of the defensive guys uh, went to throw a party for the quarterback because his birthday and my brother's birthday around the same time. So like, hey, let's go celebrate. We finally didn't win a game. So they all had this kickback party or whatever else. Like most of the football team is there. Like some of the you know, band guys, my brother also was a snare on the drums. And some guys show up that like they don't really know. They're like, who? Who, who's whose man's is this like who who's pop at this house this is a family friendly function like so the parents answer the door and say like yo we don't know y'all we can't let y'all in like this is family friendly i gotta go so the guys take off they drive off they come back like sometime later and my brother just happens to be outside going to his car stories differ whether he was going home or whether he was going out to get like chips for somebody who said they were hungry in the house i still just they don't really know why he's outside my hunch is like what my pops tells it is that he had called him and asked him to come home because like, like your brother will be here in a few hours. So you need to come home. And the guy's literally like a block and a half away. You pissed off, start firing off shots from a three, five, seven from there from, their, from like a half a block away, hit him, kill him instantly. So he died like right there. So I got the call at 1130. I show up at the house, you know, and you know, for that time frame, since I was like, you know, I got the call at 1130, didn't sleep till like four o'clock on the bus. Like, and then from there, um, you know, I get up in the morning and I just crawl into his bed and just like collapse into sleep. Like, and 
by the time I woke up, that's when people started following me. And I was like, oh, that's noise outside. What the hell is this? And then I kind of confused. Whenever I go to Chicago, whenever I went to Chicago to stay at my parents' house over the summers or the big, long breaks, winter break, I always sleep on the couch. So I woke up in his room hella confused. Like, I couldn't even orient. I was like, why am I in his room, dude? Like, I don't ever sleep in his room. If I do sleep in his room, it's because he's making beats and I was laying on the floor. But I'm in his bed. Where the hell is he? And then I got up and was like, oh, shit, that wasn't a dream. That really happened. Like, so, I mean, they, they eventually, they caught the guys that did it. They round up all five guys in the car. They caught them on Christmas, Christmas day of 2007. They, they got arraigned and, you know, charged on January, 2008. The trial was in September, 2000, uh, excuse me. It originally was set for September, 2008. They moved it back two months to the trial started the day after his birthday. So, Mm -hmm. so I spent November 10th through the 14th sitting across from my brother's killer but they all went free you managed that oh that's what sent me to therapy yeah yeah um it took it took a it took a while to kind of wrap my head around that and pretty aside from all but two of the homicides i've had so two two out of 12 have had convictions and somebody went to jail for it other 10 are completely unsolved Hmm. that connects me to my trauma a little bit not in the homicide aspect but just in the Lack of justice kind of thing? Lack of justice, thanks. I needed some words there. I was like, um... Yeah, like, wow. so, I mean, it took me a while to kind of wrestle with that because for myself, and I can't say how my folks process, we kind of talked about it at different points, like, but um, and I was his protector. So yeah, like, yeah. I spent most of my childhood, like, if he, you know, I, growing up where we grew up, everybody had to get into a fight at some point. And I was pr- I prided myself and like, dude, he never fought, like, and he never fought because I fought for him. I would literally move him out the way. And it's like, no, you got to deal with me. You get him. Like one kid made the mistake swinging on him. And I, you know, like, and I was like probably seven or six or seven years old. Move my brother out the way. It was like, now you got to fight me. Like, like, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't let him fight. You know, and nobody, nobody would let him fight. Cause he was a big teddy bear. He's like six, one, two, some like two forty something like that. He was a pretty stout guy. And he eventually went to slim down to get to linebacker. No, he looked like he looked like he'd take somebody's head off, but he actually was like just the kindest kid ever. Like when he first met my my now wife, like he met her only one time. Like he talked to us. We talked every day, but he he, would t- he met my wife one time. And when he met her, like he literally like it's like ah, oh, and picked her up like off the ground, like bear hug, ah, that kind of thing, you know. And I think the um, idea that like you know, because people ask like oh. What happened to it was it intentional? Like, nah, I mean, that was an unintentional homicide. They, they, he was not the target of that one. I have other homicides where my folks were the target. And, you know, so the, it just, it lands differently because, you know, some of the ones that are intentional, I can, this is again, the power of SC. Like I can mm-hmm. kind of work through the meaning channel. It's like, well, yeah, some of these I can make sense of because mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, this happened, this happened, this happened. Like you, mm-hmm. you get something to somebody else, somebody's out for revenge, you should got clipped. But the other ones, I'm like, senseless like you know like completely senseless eight-year-old little cousin got hit they were just driving on the highway and somebody started shooting off the highway and he got hit and died like so there's a number of stories kind of like that because kansas city itself is pretty damn violent like I, i was actually curious about that as you were talking because i wanted to know if you're able to access safety living in that situation and how much of the time and with your kids uh, safe, safe-ish, safe-ish, you know, there are some, some spaces where I would say like, 
yeah, I'm in danger. <laughs> like, if I'm out here long enough, I'm in danger. Like, this red hat I'm wearing, I would not wear that in my auntie's neighborhood <laughs> at all. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. where you at, Bernie? I'm taking this hat off. <laughs> wrong colors, wrong colors. But my my block I grew up on, like, I'm fine with this hat. Well, it was back when they actually called themselves Crips and Bloods. <laughs> so, no, it's like safe-ish. There are some, there's some scenarios I'm like, eh. I'd rather not go in that rich area at night because they might call the cops. On me. But I, well, I might not want to go to my grandma's neighborhood at night because they still shoot. Like I don't go outside for, you know, Fourth of July, New Year's Eve. I've, I've not been, aside from being inside, I don't go to New Year's Eve parties. They shoot. <laughs> and so like, there's some things that I've kind of like, kind of gathered my time grew up, where I grew up. I'm like, oh, that sounds like, you know, that, that shot was about six blocks away. Oh, that's it's far enough away. We're good. You know, like, oh, this, that's pretty damn close. Hit the deck. Like that kind of thing. So like navigating safe versus unsafe, whether it be yeah. in the house or outside the house, to give a, you know, kind of a heads up on which one felt more safe. Like I felt safer outside of my house than inside of my house. So long story short with that kind of stuff, I mean, like mm. navigating safety has been like an ongoing kind of thing, but there's a certain amount of safety that I just won't be able to get to because it's like my city is not necessarily safe. Like, I mean, I know because I work with homicide survivors, like I know what the numbers are. So that's actually, that's, if that's a good segue, oh, yeah. actually, I wanted to ask about Bozeman. What's it like for you when you're in Bozeman? <laughs> that's how Bert <laughs> that's and a, I met. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a, that's a different kind of, that's a different kind of deal. Like that's, there's physical safety, like am I physically safe? Mm-hmm. Like, and then there's like emotional safety in the combination of both in that situation. I would say some amongst people that I know in Bozeman, I can feel emotionally safe because I know like the you know, you know Abby and you know, and the like people I like studied with beforehand and like people I've met in previous trains. Great. But as, if, I, if I stepped outside and just said, no, because like cause we would walk like from the hotel like yeah, right. to you know to the training itself, I'm cool walk with a group of people, not by myself. I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel safe by myself. Like, you know, choosing what feels you know, safe issue or not, like, you know, walking out by myself, eh, a quick run rather than that. So it's physically unsafe for different reasons because, you know, they see me, they don't see a therapist. They right. see a black guy with a hat turned backwards and locks down to his shoulders. I don't know. If, you know and all of a sudden now, now, now I'm a hashtag. Now I'd rather not have that, have that happen. But safe in terms of like, terms of that is just different because i mean the place i work with a contract with now too is an ad hoc group against crime they actually are like three blocks away from where i grew up and now they're not about only a block away from where i grew up and they work with homicide survivors for the years they've been open they only they've worked with like families with a mechanical kind of stuff how do we get the money to bury your loved one how do we you know connect you to like crime victims advocacy and all this other kind of stuff but around 2012 so like a year into my career they started doing a um, like basic therapy for folks who experience homicide. And I just happened to stumble in one day because that time I just started private practice. I was like, hey, um, I know you guys work because I've seen you around. Like I know I, I, I know Mr. Brooks, the person at the time who headed up the program who headed up the program. He's been there, he's been the head of ad hoc since 1970 something. And I was like, hey, I'm a therapist in town. I don't know how I can help, but uh, I'd be happy to contribute my service at that time because at the time I was training DBT. And and he was like, well, let me sit you down with Dr. Lane, the person who heads up our, our counseling program, and you can do an interview with him. I was like, well, sure. I mean, I was open just for referrals. If y'all contracting me out, absolutely. Let's, let's talk about <laughs> it. You know? So 
So, I mean, I'm now the longest tenured therapist on their, their staff. I've been there since 2014. From there, like pre-pandemic, we would do things like there's a shooting. We would respond like immediately, like we would roll out there and like talk to them, like kind of leaflet the block in that situation, like talk to mm-hmm. folks that, 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 you know, so they can understand like, hey, it's, what you experienced a traumatic incident. Like, but, and then we would do uh, candlelight vigils, balloon releases for folks who've lost someone to homicide. We have a couple of caseworkers on staff who help them navigate like the crime victim advocacy stuff and that will go down there with them to trial and need to support a certain person for them. Wow. Um, and then from there, I mean, like they get linked up to counseling. I don't know why they follow through or not. And it's completely free. It's completely free. Completely awesome. free. So like wow. I they they're like, no, this grant is gonna cover whatever counseling you need between now and then. So some folks I have on my had on my caseload, I've seen from like like day after the homicide to trial, like the entire way through. And I mean, it's like my pop said when he was around, he was like, this experience you're having with your brother is going to help someone one day. Like, I don't know what it's going to do, but it's going to help somebody someday. So knowing like internally what it feels like from an SE standpoint to like mm-hmm. experience a homicide, not have it solved and then go through trial. I think that, that helps me like validate my clients like when they're wrestling with it. Even if I never disclose anything about the homicide experience, I've had a couple of clients ask me, like, have you lost someone to homicide? I was like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't ask anything else after that. Like they don't ask That's, who yeah. what. I'm like, no, I'm like, yep, I have. So I mean, that social engagement, that validation can mm-hmm. help along the way. It's work that I definitely um try to make sure I have like my own boundaries around it too as well. That's what I was wondering about. I because I do a similar thing. I work with clients that have the same trauma that I have. And so yeah, it's super I think like you're right, validating and you can connect on a level, whether, you know, very many details are disclosed, that's kind of irrelevant. It's just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I like, yeah, it. I, like, yeah, I, I understand. see you and yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's important for me, it was important to, because we we could turn up, turn down cases, we can accept or decline cases based on the scenario. So there are some times where I'm like, mm, that's too close to home. Can't do it. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like, you know, there, there, there've been a few where like, you know, if there's been, you know, athlete between the age of 16, 17, yeah. 18, and gets mm-hmm. killed randomly. I'm like, nope, I'm not taking that one. Like, I know they want to see a male therapist, but I'm not taking that one. There are some scenarios where they've asked, like, hey, can we have a counselor support during the candlelight vigil? I'm like, nope, not for that one. So it's it's important for me to know, like, where the edges, I mean, it's really, really important for me to know the edges of where I can help and where I cannot be effective anymore. And so there are some scenarios where I'm like, mm, based on the lineup, I can help with that one. Other ones like, mm, mm, I, will, I won't be able, be able to be as effective as I, can, I possibly can be based on like the details of the case, you know, mm-hmm. and especially that age range too. Well, some stuff I'm like, I don't see kiddos below the age of 12. I can't, I can't do anything with kiddos that young. I'm like, I don't, I'm not trained in that area. So I'm like, we can, we can play Mancala. Like, like, we can play, like <laughs> I got nothing for you. But they 12 it up, I got them, you know. You just triggered me. You said Mancala. I literally, if I want to see what my worst, most traumatized traumatized self is, I play Mancala. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like throwing the board. Okay. I hate who I'm playing. I'm like, you're cheating. <laughs> I need to do some work on that. Hey, hey that's the thing about it too, is like, with healing, a person never arrives. Never. <laughs> right. There's just some some stuff you can like. I, I knew I was okay from an SE standpoint when in 20, I think it was 2014 or 2015. So they planted a tree outside of my brother's um, high school and he died. 
And, you know, it's grown to be really, really big. So for the, there's one year where the guy, I think it was one of his bandmates, John, and a couple of football buddies, Brando Kadeem, they were like, hey, we want you and Pops to come down here. We're doing something special with the tree this year. So we want you guys to be there. So my mom was like, I can't go. I can't go. I don't want to go. I was like, and my, look at my sister. She's like, I'm not going either. I was like, okay, me and my pops, we're going on a road trip. So we took, we drove the eight hours from KC to Chicago. And on the way in, from where we drove in, we took the highway we took in on the highway. I think it was off Highway 80. But anyway, we drove right past the courtroom, like right, right, past, the, right, right past the courthouse where the trial took place. We also, because of the way we came in, we also drove by the old house they stayed in. And we also went to a school, the same school we went through when we talked to the principal after he was killed and everything else and like collected his stuff out of the locker. We drove by the morgue, we drove by the morgue where I identified him. So like all this stuff, like all these big, huge triggers were going to pop up. And I was like, I kind of looked at my dad. I was like, he's like, you good, son? Surprisingly, I'm okay. All right. Surprisingly. And I thought maybe, because I, I was planning it for sure. I was like, man, for sure I'm probably going to get like, dissociative or, right, totally. or I'm gonna like you know right. like get really anxious or mm-hmm. really angry and I was like no I'm good and that was that that had to be 2014 or from, you know yeah 2014 so like that was Did like it right bring up person. sadness a lot of sadness oh yeah I mean like it's it's um when I think about his tree his memorial tree it actually brings up happiness in that sense because I'm like uh-huh. yo uh-huh. like they really like they they take care of that tree like if they keep, they put his drumsticks like in there. They take pictures like every year. It's a thing where all wow. the kids go back to the tree, and I get a Facetime on his birthday from all his friends. Like, hey, we at the tree. We want you, bro. We want you to be here, so we're gonna Facetime you. So every year at his birthday, I get a Facetime call from those guys that they go back every single year to make sure that tree is okay. That's um, such a good story. So, so when um, I think about going back to Chicago, it doesn't really grab me that way. Okay. Um, but when I drive by like my house that I grew up in, I'm like, oh man, like there's so many memories with my mama's house, my mom and pop's house, my grandmother's house that like sit right on the same block on 30th. And I'm like, yeah, that's when the sadness hits. And more often than not, I mean, like I'll, I'll call November hell month for a reason. Like is, it didn't really go away. It just not, it, it's, it has less, I would say it's less power to completely shut me down now. Like when I'm not completely frozen totally agree i can feel all my my feelings and they they are sad and Mm -hmm. but also i mean like there are different things i can do like you know with in terms of image channel i had uh, i asked my um i have a bunch of tattoos i have my my tattoo artist hit me up out of nowhere was like hey i'm doing painting now shout out to roxanne mirror by the way if you want to go in columbia get a tattoo go down there but she reached out to me about she reached out to me was like hey i would like to do a painting for you is there something you would like me to paint because you were such a good client, you know, all those years ago. And I hear your story. We're still friends on Facebook. And she's like, I want to paint something for you. So I sent her a picture of my brother um, where he's like doing a you know, double bicep pose and everything else. He's, <laughs> I was like, I want you to paint that for me. And I was like, if I can ask you again, if you can paint something else, could you please paint like his tree? Mm-hmm. So I have two pictures upstairs of his tree and him doing a double bicep pose. And I have another one where he's, uh, there's a picture that, um, it's actually from a video. It's actually from a video that um, he had when I was like nine. My brother was six. And he went to sleep, like laying on my shoulder. And it, my, that is so. My aunt, oh, my, man. My, my, aunt, my aunt painted that one. I was like, please paint this one. And like, you know, oh. I, I need to memorialize because that was our relationship. Like, I literally, as a kid, <laughs> I wouldn't go to sleep until he went to sleep. Oh, Bert, this is 
so dear and tender. I love these stories. Wow. So I'm like, no, I mean, even till he was like, you know, older when I stayed in Chicago, it was the same dude. I would not go to sleep until he went to sleep. I I can't think of one time unless I was sick that ever crashed before he did. So like now, so I'll you know, do the same thing, lock up the house, check the windows, everything else. I'm like, all right, we're good. And he's like, I'm going to sleep. Okay, all right. I'll sit here and watch basketball until you go to sleep. And then when you finally went to sleep, that's when I would go to sleep. And even if I woke up, when I was when I woke up, and had a nightmare. Like I, I've had a nightmare since I was like six. It finally went away. Like again, when I did that see. But uh, if I wake up in a nightmare, bro, you good? Yeah, I'm all right, man. You had a nightmare, didn't you? Yeah, again. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. He's like, well, I'm gonna go to sleep again. I'm like, all right, I'll be up till you go back to sleep. And then he go back to sleep and I would go back to sleep. So, I mean, it's, that's kind of the dynamic that we had, but I have all these kind of like reminders of who he was. I mean, like he's the only person that I have their name tattooed on me. Like, so the thought process behind like, you know, healing trauma, you know, healing that kind of trauma, little pieces of time. There's no way I could have got to this by just telling the story. Cause I told the story folks who are on my Facebook or my social media in general, we're like, yeah, he's about every year, you know, and I knew something had shifted when I stopped telling the story of the anger and the rage and the heartbreak. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that because it's always there. Starting 2014, 2015, I'll start sharing them. Like, cause I would normally just hold them to myself. I'm like, no, I want to share like who this, who this kid was because at his memorial for his school, I shit you not. When he did the, the two memorials, they did one in Kansas City where we're from, they did another one in Chicago in his high school, TF North. And um, at his high school, they said, if anybody wants to speak, please, you know, come in line up, line up at the center court. They did it at the basketball gym. They line up at the center court. The line was from half court out the door. There's someone to share a story about something he did. This stuff that he did, I'm like, I didn't even know you did that. There's one kid, like one little short kid, like, little, like I think he's like maybe like eight, nine years old, little, little short. I just remember him being really short and just really, had a really like small voice. And he got the mic was like, he made me macaroni when I dropped my macaroni at my mama's house. I was like, when, when did you have time to do this shit, man? Like, <laughs> so, so no, like, I mean, you know, he's, he's one of them people that packed a lot of life in 17 years. Like if I, however old I lived, I, I hope to have a legacy like he has because people in Chicago, in, in Calumet City still, talk about him to this day like i called when i was in the midst of my trauma vortex i called uh in like 2011 i called the um i called the detectives the homicide detectives in calumet city to see if there's anything about my brother's case i called and was like hey this is birthday's like say no more i know exactly who you are you're sam's brother aren't you i was like yeah yeah y'all remember me i was like everybody remembers your family what like they're like, like that's the case that for us that got away that's the case that we just thought we could have did more on so like so all that all that's all that being said i mean the that connection to his memory became one hell of a resource that's that's really helpful my mom died almost five years ago now and it was it was it was unexpected it was the kind of thing yeah. i thought okay a hundred percent we're all gonna wake up tomorrow <laughs> and she didn't Yes. So, yeah, it's a it's a super trippy experience minus, you know, all the grief or but um Okay, well thanks and thanks to your family for letting let me have time with you on a Saturday. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Allie. I really appreciate that. Same to you and I- see you soon. Okay. Bye. See you on Instagram. Definitely. Take care. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>
Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Bert and supporting the Sneaky Powerful podcast. If you'd like more information, our website is sneakypowerful.com. And if you want more information about somatic experiencing, their website is traumahealing.org. Again, thanks for listening and see you next time on the Sneaky Powerful podcast.